Welcome to Nightbird Radio. I'm Tim Saylor, and I'm going to be your host this evening as we navigate the nocturnal, sound out the subconscious, and explore the farthest reaches of our experience. Coming to you from the Mogollon Rim, deep in the bosom of the Kali Yuga, this is Radio for the Hauntological Turn. Good evening, everybody, and thanks for joining me. So I'd like to start off this first episode of the Nightbird Radio podcast by relaying my own experience. I plan to have other Nightbirds, you guys, on to discuss your experiences. So I might as well set the stage and talk a little bit about mine. I think reciprocity is important, and I want you to feel comfortable with who you're talking to. First, a disclaimer. This will probably not be the kind of show where we say something like, And I saw the monkey demon, and I was sober as a judge and had all my wits about me. It might be sometimes, but it certainly won't always be. It is really rare that we have an experience that occurs in isolation from other um, outside stimuli and other factors. So I like to be really mindful of that and just give people the benefit of the doubt uh, when they're telling their stories, regardless of what else was going on in their life. I'll start with my childhood. When I was young, I loved to play alone, and I created fantasy worlds while digging in the dirt for imagined relics. I loved myths, legends, monsters, and ancient mysteries. Not much has changed. I was especially enamored of the Greek and Norse myths, and was always checking out books of mythology from the library, along with books about ghosts, aliens, and cryptid encounters, and photocopying their pages for my own files. My mind would also wander as a child, and so I was led to develop a method to exercise with the weight of my mind's own constant wandering. And so I would imagine something, like, say, a rider on a horse. Inevitably, my mind would take the rider off the horse or scramble the image entirely, but I found that if I focused, I could write the image in my mind. As I practiced, this became easier. I would later learn that this is an established form of yoga known as jarana, I'm probably mispronouncing that, but how did I know to do that, and what led me in that direction? I also had a hard time sleeping as a kid, and as a result, I developed a system in which I would relax every part of my body, piece by piece, in order to be able to sleep. Later in my life, I would learn about relaxation techniques that are common practice for hypnosis, guided meditation, active imagination, journey work, and numerous other practices. Again, How did I know how to do that? Later in my youth, I became rather pious, and I was very involved at my church. I responded to the myriad heartbreaks and humiliations of my youth by hunkering down, studying the Bible, and seeking out and praying for wisdom. I was the kind of kid that when I got in trouble, I got grounded from church. My goal in life was to become a missionary, and I was involved with missions during my time in the church, which led to some amazing travel opportunities. I was a youth leader, and I sang in the praise band. I was really into it. It was my scene. But I started to become disillusioned with mainstream Protestantism for a lot of understandable reasons. For one, I was trying to actively follow the teachings of Jesus Christ. For those of you who have tried this in a church setting, you know that I was in for a rude awakening. I found it too legalistic. For another, I was young and probably wanted some danger. In my seeking, I ended up involved with a ministry that had a message about desire that was pretty subversive for what I was used to. 
This offshoot, sort of cultish really, but what's a searcher to do, had as one of its tenets that the deepest desires of the heart aren't something to be repressed or abhorred, but are actually sacred unto God. Now, here was something. They also practiced an exercise that they called listening. This consisted of unstructured prayer, followed by light trance, and then channeling via automatic writing. Of course, we wouldn't have called any of these things this within that uh, context, but now I know that that's what we were doing. The listener, we were told, would be told many things by God, and um, God would even give you names. I did this daily for something like a year and had books and books filled with my automatic writing sessions, and I did receive many names. In college, I had what I would call at the time a crisis of faith. I know it now really to be a conversion to another religion. Indoctrination into the dogma of scientific materialism was included free with my tuition. I thought I was rebelling against the spirit and against religion, but instead I was just embracing a spiritless religion. To me, that's like a car without wheels. So I disavowed all gods and tossed out my journals full of love letters from spirit. And for a long time I lived that way. The thing that I believed kicked off my initiation back into the life of spirit was the experience of living in a haunted house. A friend of mine had just moved into this place and had a roommate back out on him. And my partner at the time and I needed a place desperately. The place was even furnished. We couldn't turn it down. When we got there, we saw that it wasn't just furnished, but it was like someone was still living there. All their stuff was still there, down to what they had hanging on the walls, the knickknacks that adorned their shelves, the post-it notes on their fridge. So, of course, right off the bat, my partner tells me that she's been hearing things in this house. Well, for a skeptic who was admittedly still interested in the paranormal, this was like music to my ears. It was an opportunity to test some of the things that I'd seen other people do. So she was telling me about this as she folded laundry. Not long after we moved in, I got out my phone and began a voice recording, asking any spirits there to speak into the recorder. She mentioned hearing things from the master bedroom, so I went in there. This was my roommate's room. We'll call him Jeff. And he was using the mattress that had still been in that room when we moved in. He wasn't in there using it now, though. I was in there alone. So I'm in the master bedroom, asking the spirits to make their presence known. In the living room, there was a wind chime hanging up in the corner of the room. Weird, but it had come like that, and we hadn't changed anything yet. When I asked the spirits to communicate, I heard this wind chime in the next room going off like someone had run their hand across it. I immediately ran back into the living room where my partner was folding clothes, and she was standing there, her face sheet white. Halfway through folding a large comforter, it's not like she could have gone and done that, come back. Anyway, even if it had been possible for her to move that fast, I would have still known she was not putting me on just by the look that was on her face. She was dead serious. That house was active. I didn't even think I believed in this stuff, even though I was still fascinated by it, but it was becoming harder and harder to deny that something was going on that was incompatible from my current framework for understanding the world. I was hearing things, and not just thinking I heard things, but actually hearing people call for me from other rooms. When I responded, there would be no one there, or my wife or roommate would call back that they hadn't said anything. Not only this, 
but I was having the most terrible nightmares. It's not common for me to have nightmares, stress dreams maybe, but when I lived in this house, I dreamed of brutal and gory murders, often perpetrated by me against the people I love. My partner even got scratched once right before my eyes. She thought something bitter at first, and when she lifted her arm, we could see three scratch marks. This was inside the house. She was sitting down, and I was standing up speaking to her. Each mark was composed of three thinner parallel marks, so nine marks in total. I'd never seen anything like that in my life. So we're continually having weird experiences in this house. And one day, uh, my partner and I are looking through some of the old Tupperware and dishes in the kitchen. And we found a piece of um, some of that really good old Tupperware. You know, they don't make it like they used to. But we found a piece of that with a name written on the bottom in permanent marker. I recognized the name as belonging to something of a local celebrity. He had owned a barber shop downtown in the small town I lived in for 50 years or so. He even had a column in the local paper. I asked my roommate if this is who had lived here, and he told me that, yeah, it was. He thought he had told me that. I said, no, I didn't know that. So later, when I was telling a coworker of mine who was very plugged into the local scene about it, he asked me if I knew how this person had died. I admitted that I didn't. So he told me the story, that the man who had lived in that house lived there with his wife. They had spent their whole lives together there, grown old together in that house. When she died of cancer, he decided he didn't want to live without her. So he went to his barber shop, and he cut his own throat. When he didn't die, he drove back to that house, and he shot himself. That context didn't seem to make the situation better, but almost seemed to increase the tension at the house. Things started to get really bad when we rearranged the furniture in the living room, which had been where it was for quite some time, based on the indentations the feet had made in the carpet there. When we moved the entertainment center, because it didn't fit our TV, an awful brimstone and rot smell filled the room, and where one of the corners of that entertainment center had been, there was a pile of clipped finger or toenails like someone had sat there for years clipped their toenails and thrown the clippings behind this entertainment center um, that pile of literally what are pieces of a person so not only was this house full of all their possessions but it was actually you know of course full, filled with pieces of them as well and uh, things just kept getting worse so in a moment of desperation i decided to exercise the house drawing on my time with the church in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, somehow I knew that would work, whether I believed in it or not. And it did. So how do I know that? And why did it work? After that, things subsided, and we ended up moving out of town to be closer to my wife's job. Later, my partner got a message on social media from someone she knew from high school. They said that they had gotten some of her mail and wanted to know if she had lived in that house. She said she had and asked why. Well, they had moved in and they wanted to know if she had anything weird happen while she lived there. That her children described hearing fast whispering coming from the living room at night. And that her boyfriend wouldn't even enter the house. So bad was the vibe. He's the sanest one of all of us, I think. As is often the case with such experiences, this took a while to integrate into my life. I find that these things really need to be unpacked over time. So the effects it had on me were not noticeable right away, but hairline cracks were forming in my materialist ontology that would one day bring the whole thing down. But for now, the memory became lodged somewhere between my awareness and my unconscious, in the borderlands. There, 
It worked on me in secret. But it would take some time for that seed to sprout, and time to grow tall, and then time to blossom. Between all these steps, there is time and time. So meanwhile, I kept seeking for what I can only describe now as a spiritual experience, what Colin Wilson would call a peak experience. Somewhere on that journey, I got lost, and I found myself in the depths of hard drug addiction. Even then, I kept diving deeper down, seeking, seeking. Addiction inevitably led me to suffer an overdose. What I can remember is that I took a hit of this stuff, and then I was out, gone, in another place, a twilight forest, and off in the distance through the trees I could see an old man walking down the ridge line and approaching me, but askance, until he turned to look at me, and our gaze met under those trees, and he was bearded, and he had one eye, and he wore a wide-brimmed hat on his head, and when I woke up, my partner was slapping my chest and crying, breathless and sobbing, and I was calling out, Odin, Odin. She said that my face had turned blue and I wasn't breathing, that she thought I was dead, and I know that I had been. Maybe a better way to say it is that I had been with death. But why did my near-death experience feature a Nordic sorcerer god? Again, this experience didn't cause me to change the way I was living, but it did lodge in the same place as that haunting experience had. There in that dermis, the imaginary barrier between what the mind thinks and what the mind knows, and it continued to work on me in secret too. Slowly, inexorably, spirit was trickling back into my life through these cracks. Eventually, that flow would reach critical mass. I hope you'll be glad to know that eventually these experiences did lead me to finding a better way to live and a better way to relate to the world around me. There's a lot more to be said here. These stories are only just the beginning of my journey, but I think they set a good baseline for some of the things I'd like us to talk about here. So if you have a story or experience you'd like to share, go to www.nightbirdpodcast.com and get in touch with us. I'd love to have you on the show to talk about your journey through this darkling realm we call reality.